We are continuing uh, our series uh, on the book of James and nearing its conclusion today. Um, we've been seeing that James is one who brings a very practical book to us, giving us advice from a lot, number of different angles on life. His big purpose is to help us to see that we have a faith that matters, a faith that actually does and lives out what the truths are that we have been discussing. And so today we're going to see him uh, focus particularly on having an active patience that focuses on the return of the Lord. Um, so let's look to the uh, Scripture here, but before we go to read the Word, let's pray. Lord Jesus, meet with us now. Use Your Word to communicate the truths that You want to bring to our hearts today, and we pray uh, as James has been encouraging us, that this would be something that transforms our lives and it is not merely uh, a one-moment transaction. Continue to use your word, Father, to shape us and make us into your image. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. You can follow along in the bulletins or in the Bibles in the pews. James 5, 7 through 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. I am uh, mechanically challenged. That means anytime I try to assemble something, hook up wires, whether it's uh, anything uh, technological or uh, mechanical, I'm usually met with great frustration and difficulty. I can prepare myself by reading all the instructions, getting a YouTube video on the, uh, on the uh, uh, way to do certain things. I could do all of that, and I always am finding myself um, at the end of it not being able to make things work, not being able to make the connections properly. And it leads to great frustration and anger, and it, um, the impatience that I experience often leads me to a place where I just quit. I just uh, stop working on it and um, have to get somebody else to do it for me. This is kind of a simple illustration, but a... Um, if you think about something that has greater import, like our family relationships, the things that really matter, when we have places where we find an impasse, where we're not seeing what we long for to actually uh, come to fruition, where uh, what is expected is unmet, and we find ourselves not being able to make it work, it causes deep uh, frustration, anger, and discouragement, and uh, often we want to quit that. But the you know, quitting and uh, not pursuing the, the goals that are uh, necessary uh, have grave consequences when it's something important. Well, James uh, wants to help encourage us this morning to keep on pursuing 
and enduring in the difficulties that we face without losing heart. And so he picks up the theme that he began the book with in chapter 1, verse 2. There he says, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of all sorts, uh, because his motivation he points to there for continuing to endure or to be patient is the fact that we're going to be made mature, that we're going to be made complete, that God's going to do something to transform us in the midst of that difficulty. Well, here he doesn't completely shift gears, but he may give a more full picture of what that uh, motivation should be. And here his focus is that we're to endure because we have a focus on the Lord's return. So I think what we're going to be, the big idea to be focused on today is that James is calling us to an active patience that fixes its attention on the Lord's return. That will give us staying power. So we want to explore first the difficulty of waiting, and we'll talk about the reality of the Lord's return, and lastly, uh, what it means to exercise active patience. So first, the difficulty of waiting. When we long for something and when we have an expectation for something to be met and we don't get it, uh, as I've said, it causes frustration, it causes pain, it causes suffering. When we aren't at where, where things aren't where they should be, when things aren't as they uh, are intended. We aren't experiencing God's character or His promises in that moment, things that He said He would be and do for us, we find to be missing. So we may know of Him to be compassionate, may know of Him to be attentive to us, and yet we feel in the moment that He's not there, that He's not being compassionate. We know of his justice, and yet we find ourselves in a situation which is not right. In our pain, another part of the difficulty is that we groan. The passage tells us that not to um, groan and grumble against one another. And by that, he's saying that the thing that often happens to us, that he wants to prevent, that when we have an awful day at work, what do we usually do? We bring that home and kind of dump it on the rest of the family. Our frustration and anger at something else spills out on others. And often with the difficulties that we face when we find ourselves discouraged and in anguish and uh, frustrated, uh, we end up uh, spewing that on those that we love. So he does, he's urging us not to take out our frustration and discouragement on those we're close to. The difficulty is that we have a vision problem. We're not seeing the end result that is to be. And oftentimes when we're in an unjust situation, when we're in a place where uh, we're suffering, We know that things aren't as they should be. This isn't the the experience of life that we should be uh, uh, experiencing. And when we feel that, we uh, don't see any movement towards the good end or the right destination. Find ourselves impatient. Impatience really in some ways is an attempt to control our situation. Um, We were as we express our frustration, as we express our discouragement, uh, we are in some ways trying to uh, get at the reality that we think should be uh, and uh, let people know it. Um, For some of us that are more passive, we may not express that very much. Uh, We may hold it in, but at some point, the, the mass of all the frustration and discouragement sort of wells up and sort of bursts forth even at times when it's not attached to the situation that's producing the discouragement or the frustration, but it just pops out. For those of us that are a little bit more assertive, we actually 
do something. We try to act and take control of the situation, pursue the, the solution, and uh, work towards it. And often, uh, for those of us that try that approach, sometimes we try to control the situation even though we can't make something happen. We're still working like crazy to make it happen. And things get a little crazy sometimes. The real difficulty in waiting is that we are tempted to give up. We're tempted to smother our, uh, our longings. We're tempted to smother the awareness of the distance between what should be and what is. And we are tempted to live with that discouragement instead of living a life of hope and endurance to stay at it. James wants to prevent that. He wants us to be those who uh, are uh, filled with a hope that actually brings life and energy into the present. I think part of his point is that as long as our attention is solely fixed on the present circumstance, the present reality, we're not going to be um, helped to be out anything but frustrated, angry, or discouraged. James is not getting on our case for being impatient. He knows, just as we do, that when we are met with frustration, we get frustrated. When we're met with the lack of a destination that should be, we feel the distance of that, and it discourages us. James wants instead to help us to get another focus that helps bring life and energy into that situation. He urges us to perceive a different reality. On the cover of your bulletin, you'll see a quote by Eugene Peterson, who's trying to get at this very idea. And he uses the two Greek words in the New Testament, chronos and kairos. Chronos has more of a focus on the journey, on uh, the duration that we're presently in. It's more uh, present-day centered. And his, he puts it there, if we're dominated by a sense of just the journey that we're in, the future is a source of anxiety, leaching energy from the present. But if we're dominated by a sense of kairos, and kairos time is really a focus on uh, the opportunity that is to come, the fullness of what uh, future reality could be, that uh, a future can be a source of expectation that pours energy into the present. James wants us to endure because we've had energy poured into our present by focusing on the Lord's return. And so we want to talk about the reality of the Lord's return. James is uh, very plain about that. He uses the word in verse 8, uh, the Lord's coming is near, and he's using the perfect tense there. And when he uses that tense, he's trying to convey the idea that uh, the Lord's coming is so real that it is present right now, the, present, uh, the, the perfect tense uh, presents the idea of a present reality that has continuing activity that uh, will be more and more fulfilled in the future. James is wanting to thrust upon us the idea that that future is so imminently present that it's present, that it's real for us right now, and that it reshapes our current day. The impending reality of Jesus is so graphically described here by James that he says that the, the judge is standing at the door. He's presenting the image of, uh, I love the picture of Jesus standing at the door to this room right now, ready to turn the knob, ready to burst upon us all the reality of the kingdom of God that he has accomplished for us and that he longs to bring. The immediacy of the future of the kingdom of God where everything will be set right you and I will be made whole. Everything that is broken in us, everything that is wrong in us, everything that we do that is not what we should be will be made right, will be made whole. 
we will be complete and mature, and we will live with a sense of glory and, and, and joy. His uh, purpose, that reality that he's ready to burst into the room with is a reality of all relationships being right, made right. What is broken between us, what is uh, there that is uh, conflict, that is unresolved, will be mended and healed and restored so that relationships are made whole. And in this world that we know that is so broken and so divided right now, to know that the Lord's ready to break upon this world and to usher in a day of full peace, of full harmony and wholeness, so that all the things that divide us, that break relationships and break uh, the ways in which our, uh, our life is run, um, He's going to mend and heal and make right. He will usher in the perfect peace, the perfect and complete redemption, and standing at the door, ready to bring that to reality. He uses the metaphor of the field and the farmer to try to urge us to uh, uh, grasp the way that in which we should shift our perspective to the Lord's return. The farmer really looks at the end result. He knows that there are certain ingredients that are happening along the way. He knows he's got a plant. He knows that there has to be water that's adequate, and so he longs for and waits for the spring and fall rains. But his eyes are on the future, on the product, on the crop that is to come. He uses the image of the prophets and Job as our example as well. The prophets heard a sure word of God about something that was to come, and they proclaimed that word because they had heard it from God's voice himself. They were so sure of it that they continued to speak amidst rejection, amidst persecution and opposition, but they continued to endure knowing that message was coming and it was real and true and sure, and so they persevered. Job endured the incredible loss and discouragement that he did, again, because he focused on who God was and he never left a sight of the, the character and the, uh, the reality of what God should be bringing to life itself. It's a beautiful picture because Job gives us the example that uh, Active waiting, patient waiting doesn't mean that there's no frustration, that there's no discouragement that's expressed. He dumped it all, but he dumped it all to the Lord and didn't um, leave for a minute the endurance of continuing to put his trust in the goodness and kindness and mercy of the Lord. And this passage tells us that the end result was he saw God's compassion and mercy. Shifting focus is what James wants to thrust upon us from a preoccupation with present circumstances, which can be all-consuming, to look to the end, to the future of what is to come. So let's talk about what exercising active patience looks like. James is really clear that it is an activity that we do, not just something that happens to us somehow out of thin air. Uh, so patience is not something we're just going to have in the moment of difficulty, in the moment of a difficult circumstance, an unmet expectation, a frustration that comes. It's not a passive activity. It's something we engage in, that we do the exercise of patience. It's a constant vigilant focus on the reality of what Jesus has done to secure and to bring the full final resolution to all that we long for. Like the example of the farmer, the prophets, and Job, to focus on God's truth, on the end result that he promises, on the fact of his character, what he tells us about our destiny and what shape and design that will have, what will happen when his imminent return occurs. 
Active patience relentlessly uses God's word. It depends upon it and continually minds it for uh, expectations being shaped by it. It requires cultivating a life of focus on the truth of what Jesus' return is going to bring and what it will be, what it will mean for us. Like Jesus, this requires regular rhythms of delving into what it is that God has promised and what he will do. Jesus used the regular rhythms of daily time with the Father, of getting apart to be with the Lord and to have clarity about who he was, what his destiny was, what his mission was, what the kingdom of God was and what it would take to bring it. He needed those regular times and those times of, of big blocks to continually inform and shape his thinking that brought uh, reality into his daily living, his choices, his decisions, the way he interacted with people. And that's the same kind of trait that we need, to use God's Word and to continue to interact with the Lord in prayer for clarity on the kind of life that he is bringing immediately upon us in his return, that is to be bringing reality into our daily living. Just listen to these passages, three short passages that uh, encourage us along these lines. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and following say this, For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. Momentary light affliction, that's a crazy term, right? When we're in the midst of it, it seems eternal. It seems like it's never going to end. We're just stuck in the situation that we're in that's bringing pain and difficulty. But compared to eternity, an eternity of glory and wholeness and fullness of life, it is just light. It is just momentary. We need the help of God, of his presence in our lives to help return and shape how we think about our present because we are glimpsing the eternal weight of glory that is held up for us. Hebrews 12 tells us this, let's run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one who started our faith and the one who's going to finish it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He envisioned, he thought, he knew of where his destiny would be at the right hand of the throne of God, at the place of power, at the place of victory, at the place of dominion. And he knew that was his task, that was his destiny, that was his destination, who set his mind fully on that and not on the pain and difficulty and shame of the cross. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, to set our minds on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ is revealed, who is our life is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Paul is urging us to see that that future reality is a present reality. He speaks of it in those terms. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When he is revealed, your life is going to be revealed with him in glory. That reality is a present reality that impacts who you are in this moment, in this day. So the result of this active patience, this work of regularly setting our minds on the Lord's return and all that that means, will not make us, as the adage says, of no earthly good. 
but it will be, be that which shapes us into a person of greater contentment and joy in the midst of the massive difficulties of our age. It is a reality that will make us people of perspective, people of depth, those whose hearts are set on justice and right life. We will be agents of the kingdom, bringing every bit of what we can into this world in the situations that we find ourselves in as agents of that kingdom of God. And the world desperately needs people whose focus is shifted to see eternal things, to bring them into the present reality. So how do we set our, how do we do this? How do we set our minds on the immediacy of the Lord's return? Just like Jesus, we need to build regular rhythms into our lives, times that we spend contemplating, envisioning, and expecting the reality of the kingdom of God, impending the judge standing at the door, ready to burst in. How can we take that reality and begin to envision it so that we uh, think in particular about how that might break into every aspect of our lives? It may be a little bit of a different twist on how you think about what you do in personal time with the Lord, not just sort of blankly reading the Word of God, but looking to it as the thing that tells us who we are, who we will be, who we are um, being reshaped and reformed to be, and how we might bring that into the current reality. Jesus, uh, let me just throw out several ways in which we could do this practically. Jesus is the one who is transforming lives and making all things new. So in the conflicts that you have in the closest relationships in your life, you know what we usually do is we try to point out those things that are wrong, point out our partner's faults. We tell them what's wrong in them. What if you started to think and pray and envision that person in glory, being reshaped and transformed into the image of Christ? And you spent time wrestling with what that would look like for their unique personality and design and shape. And you pray for that and you long for that and you look for ways to encourage and to build that person up into that person that they're becoming. Perhaps if we spent time in the regular diet of conceiving of that and envisioning it, we might have a different word to say in the midst of conflict other than just tearing down. In the physical and health challenges that we experience, meditate on 2 Corinthians 4.16, this idea of momentary light affliction producing in us an eternal weight of glory. The passage goes on to talk about groaning in this life, waiting to be clothed, to, to think about that reality more and more and more. Uh, my sister encouraged my dad when he was at the place of uh, growing into greater uh, inability as he had to be taken care of for a lot of bodily functions that was kind of um, shaming for him at first. Uh, she really tried to encourage him by saying, Dad, let's start focusing on the eternal life that you're entering, the joy that you're going to enter, and the fullness of life and the wholeness that you're going to experience. Um, Turn your mind, shift your focus to that. Uh, this is just a short time that you're going to endure this uh, indignity. Uh, but that's a full um, reality that you're uh, going to experience fully very soon. It helped him greatly and helped us as we experienced that journey with him. If the kingdom of God is a place of righteousness and justice, then let's contemplate how our workplaces might be those places where uh, greater justice and fairness 
are experienced with our coworkers as well as with our customers? What are those areas in need in your own workplace that need most to be addressed? Think about ways in which the, the kingdom of God and its full justice of righteousness, what would that look like in your workplace in that particular difficult area? Visualize it, and then visualize the way in which you might be an agent to bring in your own particular way, as small as that might be, to bring that reality into your workplace. As followers of Jesus, we're called to make disciples of all the nations, and we know that what will happen when the kingdom of God comes, when the Lord returns, is that all the nations will stream to be with the Lord and will want to learn of Him. That should shape how we think about our relationships today. To consider that and envision that would increase our intentionality in terms of the time that we spend with our neighbors, with our family members and coworkers who do not know the Lord. Being clear on the reality of the imminent judgment to come, the judge is standing at the door, brings a greater urgency for those relationships to be places where we're exercising every, every effort that we can to pray for and look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with them so that they might enter into that reality with us. And it perhaps might cause us to take greater risks in those relationships to talk about spiritual things. Jesus is our supreme example. He lived the way that he did because he practiced rhythms that helped him to stay focused on the kingdom of God and all that it was to, that would be brought about through his life and death and resurrection. He spent time in those, uh, those rhythms that helped give shape to every aspect of his relating. And again, I would give you, uh, uh, I've often recommended this book. It's called Love Walked Among Us by Paul Miller as a way to study the life of Jesus, to see the way that he lived and interacted with people around him, the ways that he uh, uh, spoke the words that he did, the way that he interacted in the way that he did, um, in a way that would help to reshape the way that we think about our daily life and our daily relationships. Brothers and sisters, Jesus stands at the door. He's ready to usher in that kingdom of God and the fullness of all that it means to make us transformed new creatures in Christ, fully and completely made whole, and to shape and remake this world into his new heavens and new earth. It's our destiny. We should contemplate it, to envision it, and to um, think about ways in which we might live out that reality in all the different contexts of our life. So as we go to prayer, I want you to first start with your eyes open and perhaps pen and paper in hand or, or your uh, calendar on your cell phone um, because I want to encourage you to do two things. First, to pick a time that you'll start uh, to uh, spend time with the Lord in a new rhythm um, that will focus your heart and mind on envisioning the things that we've talked about today of the new kingdom of God to come. So think about a time when you would schedule that, and I urge you not to wait uh, too long into this week. Think about a time this afternoon, this evening, that you might do that, and write that down. Put it on your calendar. And then secondly, to uh, just select one, uh, one issue in one area of your life that you'd like to start on, to think about, contemplate the kingdom of God and how it might impact that particular issue and area. So let's pray together. Lord Christ, we do come to you thanking you that you are the judge who is standing at the door, 
that you are uh, patient with us, and yet you are near in terms of your uh, bringing the fullness of justice, righteousness, and truth into reality, to make all things new and to reshape us in this world. Lord, we long for that day. We long for it to break into this world. Help us, Father, to develop rhythms where we might um, envision that reality to the extent that it informs and shapes how we live each day in each situation in our lives. We commit these things to you and ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.